growing up in, in a heavily dense Middle Eastern kind of uh, area in um, Western Sydney and my parents um, having migrated. The Middle Eastern, obviously, cuisine has been a massive influence in, in my life, but also in, in how I eat and what I love to eat and um, what I love to cook and also put on put on the menu that I'm part of. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. One of the things I love about Australian food and culture is its diversity. Coloured by the waves of migration patterns, it's allowed many of us to reach into the pantries of our parents and their parents and translate global techniques, ingredients and custom to a local context. Eating in Australia can take you to just about any country in the world. And as such, the notion of Australian cuisine is constantly evolving. Jad Nematala is the owner of The Picnic in Burwood. Jad, how are you going? Good legend. How are you? Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm I'm pumped. I've done around twelve push-ups before I jump on. <laughs> I, I think I don't think I've done twelve push-ups in the last decade. Mate, come on. Where do you get them biceps from? <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of spinach. Um, Amazing. You, you've uh, been in the hospitality industry with various venues. At the moment, you've got the picnic in Burwood. Um, yep. But you, your heritage has played a role in sort of the various venues that you've had. How, how important is the food of your family been in, in your career in hospitality? Oh, extremely. I think um, so. I come from a Lebanese background. Uh, my parents uh, are both Lebanese. We we migrated here when I was three and a half, I think, four years old, um, as refugees. Actually, to be quite honest. Wow. Um, yeah, and it took us quite a while to get our citizenship. Um, eight years in particular, I think, eight or nine years just to, to get the citizenship. But we we made it and we um, we're, I can say I'm a proud Australian. But um, obviously growing up in, in a um, heavily dense Middle Eastern kind of uh, area in um, Western Sydney or Southwestern Sydney and my parents um, having migrated – uh, the Middle Eastern, obviously, cuisine has been a massive influence in, in my life, but also mm-hmm. in, in how I eat and what I love to eat and um, what I love to cook and also put on put on a menu that I'm part of. Well, it's, it's a cuisine that really works in Australia for just from a climate uh, perspective. It just really suits the weather that we have here as well, and it's a, it's all about sharing. What, what's, can you tell us a bit about some of the feasts that you had oh, as a kid? Of course. So traditionally growing up... Uh, um, you know, I'm not too sure if you've got Lebanese friends, but, you know, we're very, very, very hospitable, very generous, very like almost shoving food down your throat, even though you've, you're full, we're still like, eat, 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 you've got to eat, right? So we express uh, love and community and, and um, togetherness through food. Um, a big part of that, obviously, is through our sharing. So every night, I would say every second night, no word of a lie, we would have friends and family and friends and family over all the time and mum would be cooking up anything between one pot dishes casseroles um you know a lot of meza as well to start with um and you know obviously growing up as well um times were tough so you know we used to go to the markets a lot and and bulk buy and and, you know mum would come and you know almost these days they call it meal prepping she would you know, do a lot of big casserole dishes and one pot dishes, you know, with like lentils and, and um, 
lubie and like rice and, and mm. fasolia, which is, you know, like beans and stuff like that. So we had, we had a pretty good diet and, you know, chicken one pot dishes and luchie, which is like almost like a spinach. Mm. Um, so we had a lot of, you know, good, humble food growing up. No, um, and my father loved and still to this day loves barbecues. Um, we would crack a barbecue two, three times a week just for no reason. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and that, and we love our house was like a halfway house respectively. Like, I didn't know what it was to grow up without having people over every night. And I remember having some Australian friends over and they're like, is this how it is every night? And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, there's always people over. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that normal? They're like, no, nah, mate, usually people call or tell them they're coming over in advance. You know, you just got <laughs> people rocking up every 10 minutes. Um, and I think that was obviously the foundations to why I love hospitality and why I'm in hospitality. Well, you run one of the busiest uh, cafes in Sydney at the moment, the, the picnic, yeah. but but you didn't start with restaurants and cafes. You started with events and, and nightclubs. Can you tell right. us about those days? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, I also was in construction. So my father is in the construction game, traditionally being the eldest son. Um, I pursued in the, you know, in the light of the family kind of business. Um, in the meantime, I began a uh, promotions and events company running nightclub events. Um, and I've kind of fell into it and I became really good at it because I had a passion for creating concepts and events and bringing people together at nightclubs. Um, and that, that was, that spanned over the whole city from around 2000 and probably five or six to 2011. Mm. Um, and I was just, you know, from the city to Oxford street to King's cross, um, Darling Harbor, around venues um, all over Sydney and through some of the biggest parties. And obviously it was, it was a heavy scene back then. So I got to meet a lot of colorful people and, <laughs> and see, see a lot of things I probably should have or shouldn't have seen, but it, it, it was fun. It was very fun. Um, and then what happened was in 2011, uh, I kind of noticed uh, a trend or a pattern within the nightclub industry dipping and, um, this was just before the lockouts, things were changing. And I said, look, I, mm. I need to move into something else. Um, and I was seeing a girl at the time and she was like, you should go back to uni um, and, and, and study marketing. Cause you know, it's what you love. It's what you're good at. I said, that's a great idea. Uh, enrolled into Parramatta university. I think I was 25 at the time or 24. So I was a late student. I was like the rich kid that drove a BMW and got to, <laughs> yeah, got to, got to be, uh, got to uni and, I was honestly paying everyone to do my assignments and, and my references. Um, and then uh, one day I happened, I, I knew of a friend of a friend that I talked about a couple of years ago regarding a, a building that, that his family had built in Burwood. Um, and one day I was driving um, on the way to uni past Burwood and I looked at the building and I'm like, oh, the building's up. So I'm going to give him a call. So I gave him a call and I said, hey, do you remember that espresso bar idea that we talked about a couple of years ago? He said, yep, because I've actually got the plans drawn up. Um, come have a look at it. I said, all right. I looked at the plans a week later, not even three or four days later, I signed the heads of agreement wow. with, his, with his father, having never worked in a cafe, never <laughs> owned a cafe, never worked in hospital, never drank coffee. <laughs> wow. 
um, signed the heads of agreement. I remember um, ghosting uni. When I say ghosting, I'm talking like never went back to uni, never returned their emails, their calls. Don't even know if I've got. <laughs> don't even know if I've got a hex debt. Don't know nothing. I remember just ghosting uni completely. People calling me. You've got an exam tomorrow. Like I'm talking ghosting uni. People thought I was dead. They email. They you know messaging me on Facebook. Um, and I, I remember going back to mum and dad. I'm like. I'm opening a cafe. They're like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm opening a cafe. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. They're like, okay, if that's what you want to do, then you've got our blessings. Go ahead. So I took six months off. So this was in July. Hmm. Um, I took six months off and I remember just going. So Burwood didn't have specialty coffee at the time. This was 2010, 2011. Mm. Um, and they didn't have that kind of gourmet sandwiches on salad and really high-end kind of artisan sandwiches and pastry. They were still back in the like Lavata days and the Vittoria days. Not that there's anything wrong with it. And the sandwiches yeah. that you have to pick your own ingredients and put together like milk bar styles, right? So I saw a gap in the market and said, I want to kind of bring that bit of a city vibe into the into the burbs. And I was in the I was in a council, I was in a building with Bellwood Council. Uh, the RTA was next door. Uh, the RM, you know, um, services, uh, sorry, um, rail cop, rail cop was across the road. So we surrounded by commercial and residential. Um, and I remember being a pest going all over Sydney, uh, <laughs> you know, bugging, bugging every cafe operator in particular, Jonathan from Lux. Um, if he ever gets to hear this, mate, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll, I'll never think, fig- I'll never forget what you did for me back in the day. I remember pestering him. Um, and then, I remember said All right, I need I need a good coffee brand. Campos at the time was red hot, mm. um, red 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 hot, and were like they were really hard to get. They had to vet you and do all this stuff. And Raf, um, who's the who was the owner of Campos at the time, he owns Saint Drew now, um, kind of invested in me and, and and saw something in me and said, look, we're going to give you the account. Um, and I just worked my ass off, man. I, it was hard. I was I was making sandwiches for two years, three years. Um, it was crazy, and we, you know, I had it for nine years, and I sold it. Wow. What What was it like taking on that business, having never done that before? Was it a shock? What it took to run a cafe? Oh, it was the hardest experience of my life, and I've been through some crazy shit. Like I'm talking. Imagine not knowing how oh so sorry i forgot one important thing so pre- previously to opening i walked into a random cafe in Parramatta that a friend had told me about um that had two espresso bars in the bottom of the ato building and i said to the guy i just want to work for you for free from 6 a.m to 6 p.m i'll do whatever you want i'm opening a cafe in three weeks time and i just need to see one thing or how things are done because i have no idea wow the guy thought I was nuts and he said, all right, if, if you're serious, uh, we'll see how serious you are. So I rocked up 5.45 the next morning and I did two weeks for free from six to six. Wow. Um, learning how to make sandwiches, toasting banana breads, wrapping, um, you know, packing things, uh, washing, everything. Like it was like an, a one-year express course in two weeks. Like I was like a sponge. It was ridiculous. Um, shout out to Nick. If you ever hear this, you'll remember me. I don't know if you do, but anyway. Um, 
and and then coming in and opening up my own venue, it was the hardest thing because I didn't know how to make coffee. I didn't I hadn't done a coffee course. Um, I learned a little bit, and the the business could only sustain two people at the time. So it was me and another guy. So if the barista called in sick, which happened quite often, I was stuck on my own. And, you know, I would usually get a message at midnight. So I would wake up, have this anxiety, get to the cafe at 3 a.m., make all the sandwiches, um, have, and then start on the coffee machine. And then, to be honest, I would just have cash on the bench and people would help themselves and pay for their own coffees and sandwiches. Wow. And I'd be Yeah, I'd be running around from the machine, toasting sandwiches, back onto the machine, back to toasting sandwiches. And then eventually I went to three staff, and four staff, but yeah, running a, a tight business like that um, with high volume and small staff, I feel like is a lot harder because you're really dependent on your staff. And if they call in sick, it really affects the flow of the, of the business. Well, you've got quite a, a big venue now. How, how different is it running something the size of the picnic compared to Chad's place? Yeah, so in, in, in 2016, I went from um, three staff to 22 staff um, in, in one hit. Wow. Now from from like 14 seats to I think 95 or 105 seats um, you know we're turning over big numbers we had uh, you know our weights it was crazy so you know whatever I forecasted to do uh, pre-opening we doubled it within the first week for the for three years straight wow uh, and I was like scratching my head going what the fuck have I just done so I'm there trying to go through the teething issues, trying to monitor our wait lists, staff up ridiculously all during an opening of a venue. Um, I was very underprepared because I was forced to open by council and even more underprepared because we will literally double what we forecasted. Um, you know, thank God, we were blessed. Sydney was very receptive to the concept at the time. Mm. I don't think they'd seen anything like that, you know, really colourful, bright, a fun cafe in the middle of a park and we offered picnic baskets and blankets as well. And we had the music going and just the offering was really unique. Um, so I think we'll like, we'll kind of blessed in that way, but it was, it was a very, 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 very hard process. Um, extremely difficult. You, you briefly sort of touched on what the, the picnic is about as a cafe. Can you tell us about the food and, and the offering? And what makes it so different? Of course. But I've got a special announcement for you. I thought, you know what? I'm going to announce it today um, <laughs> on your podcast. It, no one knows. It's never been heard before. Um, I've actually just sold the business. Wow. Um, this is like a public announcement. No one knows. <laughs> we've, we've, we, we, settled, we settled this week. Um, I've had it for five years and um, it was the right time, the right place, the right offer, the right operators. Um, and I sold it. Wow. What, what, this week, this week we settled. So it's settling. It's, it's handing over today. I think to be honest. Holy moly. What, yeah. what's, what, what's a business that's so successful? What's led to this moment? Pardon? Oh, what's led to this moment? Hmm. Um, intuition being, being going with the flow uh, being open to the to the signs that the universe uh, kind of puts to you and what you put out. So I'm opening a massive new venue that I've been working on for three years inside Parramatta Park. Wow. Um, it's a heritage-listed building that was wanted by government tender. Um, 
and it's opposite Little Kuji River inside Parramatta Park. So it's 450 square meters. It's Whoa. a cafe, cafe, uh, all day eatery with an event space. So we can do weddings and functions and, and all that. Um, it's, you know, been re, re, uh, redesigned by Sam Crawford architect. It's, it's a hot, Mm. Hot building. It's beautiful. Metal glass doors everywhere. Open trusses. Natural light. It's got a mezzanine floor as well. Um, it's a gorgeous venue. Um, so I, I, you asked me three years ago, I wanted to eat concrete and take on the world. <laughs> Today, I want to do one venue at a time. You know, I, I want to put you know my focus and energy and uh, into one venue and do it properly and then move on. Um, that's my strategy. So. The offer came to me and I'm like, you know what? I've got to take it. And all right, and, and now I'm putting all my focus in, into Parramatta. What's led to that change of wanting to put all of your energy just into one venue? Is, has, has that come about in the last year or has it been growing? Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I'll, I'll also answer that question in regards to the food after this. Um, you got to look at yourself and you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to drop your ego. Um, a lot of us sit there and we want the world. We want to have five venues. You know, we want to have five houses. We want to have two cars. We want to have a holiday house. Uh, we want it all. We want to have watches and shoes and, and whatnot. Right. And nothing's wrong with being ambitious. Uh, but you've also got to understand um, how to be content in, in life because being content can lead to, you know, also being happy and, um, being a lot more successful. So what led me to that decision was I assessed my life and I said, I can have four or five partners, open three, five, six different venues, but what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of lifestyle do I want to live? Who do mm. I want to be as a person? Um, you know, I love training. I love spending time with my family. Um, I love visiting different restaurants and venues and socializing. I'm also on a TV show. Um, so that, you know, I enjoy doing that. So I started to assess my life and, and say, okay, how much can I do while still having a lot of these things, but with a bit of a sacrifice? Um, and I realized at the time and where my mind is at and what's good for my mental health is it's just to do one venue at a time, but do it really, 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 really well. And um, as, as they say, is kind of milk the ant meaning, um, you know, take everything you can out of that venue, you know, do takeaway, do catering, do online, uh, do drive-through, uh, do events, do everything you can and, ex and, you know, exert all your energy and get it all you can from the one venue rather than doing, you know, three mm -hmm. venues and doing them at 60%. Um, so that's where I am now. Who knows where I'll be in five years, but at this, <laughs> you know, at this point, that's, that's my mindset. Well, the picnic has been so successful and um, it's the Parramatta project sounds really exciting. We can talk about that in a moment, but what, what yeah. do you think it was about the picnic and the food and the offering that made it so successful? I think a lot of it had to do with my, my influence and, and my background in, in being um, Lebanese. Uh, so a lot of the, a lot of the menu items I did put on there were very, uh, very middle Eastern focused, but also, um, the success comes from creating it as a general population cafe. So it was a cafe that was very family friendly. It was female friendly. Uh, it, it uh, kind of 
provided uh, for the masses. So if you're a hipster, there's something there for you. If you're a gym junkie, there's something there for you. If you want to bring your 65, 75-year-old grandma or, or aunt, um, mm. there's something there's something there for you. You know, if you're a bit of a foodie, there's something there for you. So I created a, a, an environment where it was uh, it was catering to, to to everyone almost, and it was comfortable and it was fun. Um, and it was punchy and hearty and it was uh, it was relatable in the same sense. You know, a lot of chefs would walk in and say, why do you have a schnitzel on your menu? And I'm like, the schnitzel that you're laughing at is the highest seller. Mm. Um, you know, but we would, it was very diverse. So you'd have your green bowls and your breakfast bowls. Then we would have a kafta hot dog. You wouldn't have like a, you know, a mortadella sandwich that we use, you know, high, high-end meats, you know, whether it's from, you know, um, South Australia or whatnot, or from different local suppliers. And then you, know, we used kangaroo, kangaroo island eggs and pepisaya butter, but we we're also, you know, um, doing like just traditional pancakes as well. So it was a cafe where you just felt comfortable. Um, and, and that's what people loved at the end of the day. Yeah. It's good to be cool and it's good to be different, but you also got to be relatable and comfortable to um, be able to have a sustainable business for a long time. You mentioned a bit earlier um, how uh, growing up in a Lebanese family, that the hospitality side of things is innately part of your family and culture. What what does it take to deliver great hospitality in a venue? Understanding people. Um, You know, growing up, not even knowing it, we had a sequence of service at home when people would walk in. It was funny. So, say, so for example, you'd come to my house. Hey, Anth, how are you? Welcome. We'll sit you down. Uh, would come out and offer you some drinks, always on a tray. Mum made sure that the drinks were always put on a tray. Uh, would put like a coaster in front of you and offer you a drink. And there'd be multiple choices for you to choose from, from water, sparkling water, lemonade, Coke, uh, or juice um, on the tray ready for you. You'd sit down, then would offer you some nuts, some carrot, some turmos. Um, and then some fruit and coffee and biscuits. So wow. there was like a secret. There was like a natural sequence of service for our friends and guests when they come over. But thinking about it at the time, it wasn't a sequence of service. It was just what mum and dad, you know, made us do, or what we what we was <laughs> what we had to or what we had to do for when people came over. It was it was almost like respect. So putting that in towards hospitality. And growing up in the in you know in you know in nightclub scenes and whatnot, it's about reading people and understanding people and and putting your ego aside of and understanding what people want and do. People come to a venue these days not to eat. People come for an experience. You can eat anywhere. You know you can go to McDonald's and eat. You can go anywhere in the world and eat. You know. People come for the complete experience. So what I try to focus on is giving someone the complete experience from the moment they look at your Instagram page, they have a feeling to the moment they drive, they've got that feeling and that thought in their mind. They arrive at your venue, they get greeted to the moment they get sat down, the music, the style of the menu, what you, how you approach them. So mm. if you focus on the experience and understanding people and just giving them good, comfortable hospitality. The food doesn't have to be world-class. But if you can get it to 70, 80, 85% and deliver the complete experience of making them feel comfortable, homely, welcome, having a bit of tongue-in-cheek and giving them the time um, 
that's for me what hospitality is about. And I think COVID has proven that. What sort of impact did the 2020 have on, on what you do? And, and, and personally, did it, did it affect the way you see the operations of your businesses? Of course. Um, 2020 was obviously a blessing in disguise for everyone. It, it, it did have a big impact on myself and my business, but I believe what it, what it taught us was simplicity. Um, just to, just good old simplicity, simplicity in the food, simplicity in the way we do business, simplicity in, in, in humbleness and humility in, 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 um, in what we're providing and also to appreciate customers and, and the value of money. Uh, Sydney pre-COVID was very fast paced. There was a new, you know, three or four venues opening a week. People were spoiled for choice. I felt like the quality of service and hospitality was almost like very rushed and non-tailored. Mm. So what COVID has taught us is to appreciate every dollar and to appreciate every customer and to say thank you and how are you and ask how their day is and wishing them to come back and, and putting more of an emphasis in your staff as well. And just to being a little bit more simple that sometimes trying too hard is unnecessary. Um, and having a large, large menu is unnecessary or, you know, doing things um, above and beyond that you should be doing is unnecessary. Um, and we pivoted very early, uh, did a picnic at home model within the first three or four days. People thought I was crazy. I was driving around Sydney in my Range Rover with a mask on, dropping off food. Um, I did a pay it forward campaign. I was... Um, also, was dropping off lasagnas and home-cooked food to people that were heavily affected and were out of a job and were struggling. Um, and I did that, to be honest. People thought, why are you doing that? You've got, you know, your rent covered, your staff's on JobKeeper. Um, mm. I was advised by all my, all my team to not do anything. And I said, I can't. Even if I lose money, um, it's a marketing exercise for me and it's, something that I want to challenge myself with to see how far I can go with picnic at home. And it worked, you know, we were on top of people's minds. We did well for the community. Uh, I kept a lot of my staff in a job and kept them stimulated and mm. you know, occupied. So I don't feel like anxiety or depression. Um, and, you know, once all the restrictions kind of lifted, we we're very lucky and blessed to be supported by the community. Your family came to Australia with, in challenging circumstances and you've been involved um, with Bake for Beirut. Can you tell us a bit yes. about that and, and the importance of that to you? Of course. So Bake for Beirut is a um, Middle Eastern-inspired cookbook which is sold online, which was created by myself and Rose Adam who um, lives in Adelaide. She was a MasterChef contestant. Mm. Um Beirut was heavily affected um, some time ago by a blast that, that shook shook the city. And, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of casualties and deaths and, and um, uh, a lot of damage to the city as well. So I personally had some campaigns running online to raise money, which I did. Um, I raised almost $90,000 online. Wow. But, but Rose and I... Um, got together because she comes from a Lebanese background and we said, look, we need to do something. And um, obviously with COVID, things were hard. So we came up with the idea of, of just doing a cookbook. We um, reached out to just a really quick selective 
amount of chefs in Australia, you know, renowned chefs as well. Um, and to be honest, not a lot, none of them, I think, were from Middle Eastern background. I think a few of them were, but they've worked with Middle Eastern food and so generously they gave us their time, their recipes and photos of themselves. Uh, we collated them together with, you know, our team, Sarah and Christinda, and um, obviously uh, Haitha, which is um, Rose's sister, to create this cookbook. Um, and then we backed it by Steps of Hope, which is a non-for-profit organization that have volunteers here in on the ground in Lebanon. And we sold it online, and I think we've hit almost a 1,000 copies. Wow. How can people get a, get a hold of this? Um, if they go to the Bake for Beirut uh, Instagram or they go to my Instagram, Jad Funk, I've got a link. Um, I think it's $30. Um, it's 100% tax deductible. You'll get a copy of um, the cookbook, which has over 20 recipes. You've got my mum's famous marmul recipe in there, which wow. she never said she'll share. <laughs> she, ne- she said she'll never share it. And I went up to her and I said, mum, I did a pitch. I had to pitch to her over coffee in the morning. <laughs> She goes, what do you want now? And I said, I've got a pitch to you. She said, what do you want? I pitched to her. She didn't hesitate. She'd never written a recipe in her life. She she sat down with her glasses on and coffee every morning, tweaking it. Um, and she got there in the end. And, and yeah, now now it's for the whole world to kind of enjoy. Amazing. Well, um, you've given us some breaking news, which is pretty exciting for Deep in the Weeds. But what can we expect with the Parramatta venue that you've been working on for the next three years? For the last three years, sorry. Uh, mate, I, I, I love your questions. This is why you're in the hot seat, right? This is why you <laughs> you got all the you got all the big players on your podcast. Uh, by the way, I'm very humbled to be part of your podcast. I've been a big fan of yours myself. Um, you're obviously a pioneer in the hospitality industry, so to be able to to share my story with you and all your listeners um, is very humbling for me and, and I really appreciate it. I just thought I'd I want to tell you that and express my gratitude. <laughs> well, we're, we're honored to have you, mate. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, so what we're going to expect, um, at the Parramatta venue is just humble, honest cooking. Um, I'm, I'm throwing a, a bit of a oven in there. So I'm talking with the team at Gosney. Um, you know, the guys that created Rockbox. Oh, the, yep. the Gosney oven, the Gosney ovens, they're the ovens. So we're experimenting with creating a custom Gosney oven. They're based in the UK. They're amazing. Um, they're, and we're going we're gonna to kind of take Middle Eastern and Mediterranean cooking on a more humble approach. So uh, wood fight, like a kind of a wood fired flatbread with uh, all your kind of uh, mezza in the morning. So mm. you can still have your really nice fried eggs, your scrambled, your poached, but we'll do a little bit differently in terracotta pots. And then we're going to do, we're going to cure like our own kingfish basturma, our own basturma. We're going to have our own mortadellas. We're going to do our own labnis, our own shanglish. Wow. Uh, so what will happen is you get your hot flatbread, you choose your, you choose your eggs and we'll come out on a cart and you can have all your different sides. We'll have some really good, you know, dressed tomatoes. Um, or you'll have like a, a village salad from the garden that we, we're going to have, you know, that's Mediterranean inspired. So that would be a bulk of the brunch offering. Obviously we have a few bowls and a few sweet stuff as well and a couple of egg dishes. And then we'll move into more just your like, just really simplistic, but tasty, you know, you know, inspired by like, um, just overseas style, like Mediterranean, Mykonos, 
uh, Italian, Middle mm. Eastern vibes. Um, Unamass do a good job at a couple of, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, but just doing it on, on a more approachable kind of daytime um, level. Uh, you know, you, you know, your fishes, you, you know, your steak fritters will have, a, you know, uh, some sashimi on there. Um, and just a fun vibe. We'll have some rosés, whites and reds, three or four cocktails, a couple of beers, and just keeping it really, really simple with, with our offering. But uh, just putting a lot of focus on the little things. You know, I love creating my own spices. I love creating my own oils. Um, I love the use of fresh herbs. Um, and just very punchy food and very elevated food. So big focus on texture and just good produce as well. Um, so nothing with flowers and fancy um, and, 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 no, and no small portions, medium portions, but very, very punchy. Well, it's been three years in the making so far. What, do you have an expected uh, opening date yet? Um, look, if things remain the way they are positively with obviously the situation in COVID, mm. we're looking at opening by end of June uh, for a soft, kind of opening we'll probably start going hard with the grand opening um in september and then we'll probably start running events in maybe late november as well we'll be taking some event inquiries wow um but mate, I, I can't wait to have you there uh, i'll definitely have you part of the um the, the cooking trials <laughs> you, mate, you'd have you'd, you'd have to be standing there with me just you know picking and choosing what goes on the menu um that oh, i would, would love that that would be amazing mate, oh that for me would be would be winner and and and, and part of that is the perks of coming over and uh, having all our family cook for you as well and being part of that process too so um get ready mate get on the treadmill well yeah i better get i better start doing all of the push-ups uh, that i've been <laughs> Uh, not doing for the last decade. Um, Jad, um, bloody great to talk to you. You're a legend and really looking forward to this new venue. Um, we're honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Matter well, it's been an absolute honour and privilege uh, to be able to share my story and keep doing what you're doing, mate. We love listening. Thank you so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.